Good afternoon and welcome to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. We have one case on the docket this afternoon for oral argument. Uh, Bartlett versus the state of Burke et al. I'd like to introduce the court and the court staff. To my right is Judge Allegra Collins. To my left is Judge Fred Gore. My name is John Tyson. Our court clerk today is Mr. Eddie Saunders, who opened court. And our court marshal, Mr. Richard Rebilliard, is here to keep the peace. So, are there any preliminary matters to come before the court before we get started? I'd like to recognize that we have a large number of law students and interns who are present today uh, who are with us in court, and we welcome you and thank you for being here today. If there's nothing further, we will hear from the appellant. Thank you, Judge Tyson, and may it please the court. My name is Eric Stray, and I am Prohac Vice Counsel for Airbus Helicopters Deutschland. I am here from the state of New York, and I thank your honors for the opportunity to appear before you today. Also with me is Mr. Christopher Tomlinson from Moore Van Allen in Charlotte, uh, sitting just here, and Wa Nguyen of my law firm in Dallas, uh, who is not admitted pro hoc vice, but is here for support only. Thank you, your honors. I'll be splitting my time with the other appellant, Saffron Helicopters. I'll take about 15 minutes, they'll take about 10, and we've reserved five for rebuttal. Your Honors, the trial court erred in its order finding specific jurisdiction over my client, Airbus Helicopters Deutschland, who I'll refer to as AHD today, because there is no competent evidence in the record that AHD purposely availed itself of the privilege of conducting business in the state of North Carolina, because it did not specifically target the North Carolina market for its aircraft. As we'll discuss today, AHD's placement of the helicopter into the stream of commerce through its sale to a national distributor located outside of the state in the state of Texas, and its foreseeability and awareness that the product could be brought by third parties into North Carolina is not a sufficient basis to find purposeful availment over AHD under the law. I'll briefly cite some of the facts that I want to focus on that are in the competent record. I'm sure the court is already aware of them, but briefly, AHD is located in Germany. It did not market, promote, advertise, sell, deliver, distribute, service, or support the subject helicopter or any other helicopter in the state of North Carolina. It did not sell any online subscriptions to anyone in North Carolina. It has no dealers no distributors in the state of North Carolina. It has no customers in the state of North Carolina. The helicopter at issue here was sold by it in Germany to its distributor in Texas. Duke University came from North Carolina, purchased and took delivery of the helicopter in Texas and brought it back to North Carolina. AHD did not initiate the transaction, was not involved in that transaction, was not involved in the helicopter while it was in North Carolina. One point to make preliminarily and early on, because there was some discussion in the appellee's briefs about AHI acting on behalf of AHD, and I want to make very clear, there was no finding of fact by the trial court, and it was not argued to the trial court that AHI acts as an agent 
of AHD such that AHI's contacts may be imputed to AHD. They are separate companies, separate defendants, and we are only here to talk about AHD's contacts, or lack thereof, with this state. Any agency argument was waived by not bringing it below. There's no finding of fact by the trial court. Did title to the helicopter at issue, was it transferred to the Texas-based entity in Germany, or who held title until it was delivered to Duke? Yes, Judge. AHD transferred title, risk of loss, ownership of the helicopter to AHI in Germany, and AHI had sole responsibility for importing the helicopter to the United States, to Texas, where AHI then sold it and delivered it to Duke. I'd like to begin the discussion of the law with the Cohen case because it frames the issues nicely. The Cohen versus Continental Motors was decided by this court not too long ago after the Ford v. Ford v. Montana decision from the U.S. Supreme Court. This court found that Continental Motors, an, a non-resident aircraft engine manufacturer out of this state subject to specific jurisdiction in North Carolina, not because it had nationwide contacts and not because a stream of commerce saw that its products would end up in the state of North Carolina. It did so because there were specific contacts between Continental and this state, including a dealer in North Carolina that sold $4 million worth of parts and the sale of online subscriptions by Continental to customers in the state of North Carolina. As explained, AHD has none of these North Carolina contacts. If the pure presence of the product in the forum were sufficient, in Cohen, this court would not have looked for, cataloged, and limited its analysis to specific North Carolina contacts. It could have said, the product's in the forum, that's enough. That is not the law of this court. Now, it's un undisputed. AHD sold this aircraft to its national distributor in Texas, and that distributor sells aircraft in Texas to customers from around the United States. One of them was Duke University. But in Mucha v. Wagner, this state's Supreme Court, not a product liability case, a domestic violence case, but this court, the Supreme Court looked at stream of commerce law from the United States Supreme Court and said that marketing generally to the United States is not sufficient. A defendant must specifically target the market of the forum state. Now in Mucha, the court relied primarily on a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court called McIntyre v. Nicastro. In that case, the facts were very much the same as they are here. An English manufacturer sold a product to an Ohio distributor that it agreed to serve as its national distributor for the United States. That product was purchased by the plaintiff's employer from New Jersey, and that employer took the product to New Jersey where it caused an injury. The English manufacturer had no direct contacts with New Jersey, and a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court found that due process did not allow the exercise of jurisdiction over that foreign defendant. The outcome should be the same here, even though Jay McIntyre or Nicastro, I sometimes mix them up, bear with me, um, even though it was a plurality decision, Justice Breyer's concurring opinion in Nicastro was the narrowest basis for the court's decision. 
And in his opinion, he said that we don't need to look beyond our existing precedent to make the determination that due process did not allow the exercise of jurisdiction on these facts. Existing precedent at that time, primarily worldwide Volkswagen, the 1980 seminal stream of commerce case from the US Supreme Court. That case lays down some very important due process limitations on the stream of commerce theory. Pages 296 to 298 of the Worldwide Volkswagen decision talk about three points I want to make. First one, very uncontroversial. Foreseeability of a defendant that its product can make its way into the forum alone is not enough. There must be some conduct to establish and create a connection between the defendant and the forum. Two, a forum state does not exceed its power if it exercises jurisdiction over a defendant who places a product into the stream of commerce with the expectation that downstream sellers will sell it in the forum. Sales in the forum. You'll see the language in Worldwide Volkswagen. But that must be read in conjunction with the third point of Worldwide Volkswagen, which is that the unilateral acts of third parties in bringing a product into the forum does not establish purposeful availment from the defendant. The reason is clear and also talked about in Worldwide Volkswagen, the policy reason. Defendants must be able to structure their affairs to know where they'll be subject to jurisdiction. And if a defendant is subject to jurisdiction anywhere a third party takes its product, the defendant is incapable of structuring its conduct accordingly. This is also, this point about structuring affairs is also recognized by the state Supreme Court in Mucha, I believe at page 171, 172. Now, back to this case. AHD structured its affairs so that its sales in the United States would occur by AHI in North, excuse me, in Texas. It could have, but did not contract with dealers in other states. It could have sought to have dealers and distributors around the United States. It did not do that. It has one exclusive distributor in Texas. That distributor sells and delivers helicopters in Texas just like in this case. It gave the exclusive right to distribute to that Texas distributor. It could not, AHD, have, pursuant to that contract, had its own separate dealer in North Carolina. Are you, you're familiar with um, Justice Hagan's opinion in Ford? Yes. <clears throat> and Ford is probably one of the more recent pronouncements. Do you agree or disagree that the Supreme Court enlarged the reach for personal jurisdiction in Ford. I do, I don't think the court changed at all the uh, reach, it might have restricted it by saying that even if a product goes into a forum through third party acts, which was the case in the Ford cases, uh, there still, if, when you're looking at the relatedness requirement, must be either a causal connection between the claim and the conduct or the defendant has to have systematically, extensively, and deliberately served the form for that very product. And so if you read the two together, the first requirement of purposeful availment with relatedness, that requirement of the substantial connection further reinforces that pure stream of commerce law is no longer 
valid after Ford because pure stream of commerce, you don't have to have any contacts with the forum. Then there's nothing to relate to the claim. I hope that answered your question, Judge Tyson. Yes, I have another question, though. The, um, the Texas subsidiary, which is um, Air, Airbus Helicopters, Inc., is that's that correct? correct? That's correct. Um, that's a Texas chartered entity, is that correct? It is a Delaware corporation with its principal place of business in Grand Prairie, Texas. Is it uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the German corporation? No, Judge. There is no ownership of AHI by AHD. No. AHD, the defendant at issue here, does not own AHI. So the con is strictly a contractual relationship? Yes, Judge. But it is an exclusive relationship? It is an exclusive contractual distributorship relationship. Yes, Judge. Um, the trial judge, you, you agree, you had the burden on appeal to show error and prejudice. I do, Your Honor. So why did the trial court get it wrong? The trial court got it wrong because purely by selling to the Texas distributor and a third party bringing the aircraft into North Carolina, there's no competent evidence that AHD over in Germany specifically targeted the North Carolina forum. There must be some act by AHD itself directed at the North Carolina forum in order for there to be purposeful availment. Trial judge found in this order that your, your client knew when they delivered that those helicopters were bound for the United States. And I think the trial judge is reading once it gets here and it makes its way to any of the 50 states, then knowing it's coming here, they should foresee that it could end up here in North Carolina. Correct, Your Honor. That is what the trial court found. But as we discussed earlier, foreseeability alone is not the standard for purposeful availment. There must be conduct by the defendant that specifically targets the forum. Foreseeability that the product will make its way into the forum even, and especially here by third-party acts, does not satisfy the purposeful availment requirement. Trial court also found that your client monitored the performance and the hours and the uh, need for potential replacement parts on all of its helicopters, too. That is correct, Your Honor. And as we point out in our briefs, as an aircraft manufacturer, or federal and sort of international rules that require this type of monitoring so that manufacturers are aware where aircraft are operating for various reasons, one of which is in case they need to send some safety notice information, something like that. But there is case law cited in our briefs, our reply brief, that this type of monitoring, one, is not purposeful conduct, it's passive. Sitting in Germany, they're being provided this information, and two, it's being done pursuant to federal regulations, which, again, is not purposeful availment. Counsel, on, on that issue, um, building upon the discussion for foreseeability versus purposeful availment, is it not arguable that the necessity to do exactly what you described, complying with those regulatory mandates, what if there is a subsequent sale of a new Airbus? Uh, you now have contacts. Uh, you do have interactions. Uh, could it be argued that a subsequent, I guess, a subsequent sale 
because you now are interacting or you know having to comply with it creates those conducts for a second sale could that not have uh, be uh, the purposeful development at that point I don't think so, Your Honor, because the aircraft is already, let's say, in North Carolina, and I'm about out of time. I don't want to take my co-appellant's sound, but the aircraft's already in North Carolina uh, through third-party acts. It's then sold to another third party. That information is provided to AHD over in Germany through passive means. It's not actively going out and getting this information from operators. Uh, it, it makes no difference whether it's a subsequent, a resale, a used helicopter. They're just monitoring the fleet around the world, really, uh, not just North Carolina, but around the world, uh, to have this information available. But they are not actively going out and getting it from whoever purchases the aircraft. I'll pass to uh, co-counsel and, and unless there, I'm sorry, Your Honor, unless there are any other questions. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I'm already over time. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, Mr. Worf. Welcome to the court. Judge Tyson, thank you. May it please the court. Um, I am Martin Worf on behalf of Safran Helicopter Engines, uh, a French manufacturer, and I uh, would like to reserve, um, we're reserving collectively five minutes for rebuttal, so um, I'll speak into that point. Um, what we are not reviewing here today is a question about liability. What we are looking at is a question of whether North Carolina is the proper forum to hear the case about liability. North Carolina is the proper forum only if Saffron Helicopter Engines, not the plaintiff or the co-defendant, purposefully availed itself of the privileges of activities in this state. Not all of the United States, but North Carolina. And the trial court erred in determining that Saffron Helicopter Engines had purposely availed itself of doing business in North Carolina. There are three prongs to specific jurisdiction, and I want to talk mainly about two, but quite frankly, the purposeful availment. But Judge, I want to come to your question about Ford um, and what that possibly does to enlarge or not um, specific jurisdiction. And if you recall from the Ford case, the um, Ford conceded or uh, admitted that they um, had purposely availed themselves of the jurisdiction of the two states in which were issued. So the court did not talk about anything having to do with purposeful availment. They focused solely on the second prong of specific jurisdiction, which is, does the plaintiff's cause of action relate to or arise from uh, those specific con those contacts. Is it caused by or relate to? Is that the specific language? I think it's uh, uh, related to or arise from. Rise I think from. Uh, ca caused might be um, in our long arm statute. Um, but for our time today, we've briefed the, act, the, um, the issues with Ford, but I want to focus, if we can, more on the purposeful availment prong. Um, and before we do that, I wanted to uh, make sure that we understood the sort of relationship between these companies. Um, and if you, what I've tried to do here is that uh, these companies at least have somewhat similar names, but I've tried to identify, for example, Sa Saffron Helicopter Engines in red here, all of the names that whether in the brief or sometimes at oral argument might have been referred to in deposition testimony or otherwise as this particular company. 
And when you look at that right-hand side of that chart, Saffron Helicopter Engines sold the aerial engines to AHD in Germany as a separate company. It is a French company, no management or advertisement in North Carolina. It manufactures and designs helicopter engines that are not designed or built in North Carolina. Um, does it have a distributor in, in the United States? No, it does not have a distributor. So um, unlike, unlike the helicopter company that exclusively distributes through the Texas company, your company sells directly from France to Germany? Correct. Um, and we sell only to airframe manufacturers uh, because we're a component piece. There's not a lot you can do with the engine on its own. It needs to be in the helicopter. Um, so we sell just to um, uh, man, um, man, uh, airframe manufacturers. And in this particular helicopter, as well as others, uh, this model are all sold um, to AHD in Germany. Um, and once that sale is complete, we don't have any contact or direction uh, with the engine beyond that point. And we do not uh, direct AHD to whom they should sell the helicopter to or what they should do with the engine. How would a customer get replacement parts or service parts? They would contact, a, they would contact this company on the left-hand side if they're in the United States. Are they exclusive for you too? They are exclusive to, to the servicing the engines that we manufacture, yes. But Saffron Helicopter Engines USA is one of about um, 12 other companies uh, that service engines that happen to be located around the world. So you might have Saffron uh, Helicopter Engines Canada or India or wherever the case may be because that service relationship is different from the, the sale of the actual engine. And that, um, that uh, you can see here that this rolls up to a parent company, which is not an issue here, um, Saffron France or Saffron. And you've got everything on this side is not being contested for jurisdiction in North Carolina. So we're not arguing that Saffron helicopter engines should, be, uh, should not be uh, uh, hailed into the jurisdiction of North Carolina. We're only talking about the engine manufacturer who sold the product in uh, to Germany? But the USA, the USA entity is a is a defendant in the case who did not appeal. Is that correct? That's correct. It is a defendant. It did not make a motion to dismiss for uh, lack of jurisdiction, and it is um, sort of a non-active appellee in this particular matter. Um, what I would like to do, Your Honors, to is to basically walk through the trial court's order and look at some of the findings of fact and conclusions. The trial court's order is um, at, starts at page 595 of the record, Your Honor. But um, if you flip over to one of the findings, finding 13, um, you can see that the trial court notes that she, and that's referred to as Saffron Helicopter Engines, is a global corporation, worldwide leader in the manufacture of turbine-powered helicopter engines, maintains sales marketing service contracts that result in engines being operated internationally and throughout the world. Now, that was not a finding that we appealed. It said there was no competent evidence for that, but the issue there is that those sales are to airframe manufacturers. They're not to, to ultimate purchasers like Duke or particular end users of the overall product. Um, what we look, see in, uh, um, and there's nothing in that particular finding uh, that talks about 
how Saffron helicopter engines would be pursuing North Carolina or expecting a sale to occur in North Carolina as opposed to maybe India, Israel, or even Indiana. There's just no distinction or, or purposeful availment recognition in that particular fact. And as you start to look through, you can see that recurring theme of the judge finding that there might be some issues or some connection to the United States broadly or to North America broadly, but nothing to North Carolina. Um, you can see that in uh, finding of fact 14. And um, when you look at, when you look at 15, that, that they, these engines might end up all over the world, there's no evidence, again, of any distribution beyond us selling that particular engine to um, uh, an airframe manufacturer in Germany. Um, but it's, it is important, as Mr. Strain talked about, to think about where is the forum state that we are dealing with. Because the court in Mucha recognizes and states that, identifies this, our Supreme Court, Justice Earl's opinion, unanimous decision, that the stream of commerce supported the defendant's position in Mucha, which was um, uh, that he did not have jurisdiction in North Carolina. The Supreme, our Supreme Court said, the cases have drawn, the, referencing the Supreme Court, US Supreme Court cases, have drawn a distinction between conduct targeted at states generally and conduct targeted at the specific forum state. And they note that unless a defendant has directed marketing sales efforts um, at a specific state, doing that even to the United States is not enough. Um, and you know there may be some criticism about that being a domestic um, a case about a domestic violence order and a phone call. But if you really think about it, there's a lot of parallel there because what the theory that's kind of being argued is this foreseeability uh, theory, or the idea that if I make a phone call to a particular person wherever that person is, I'm gonna be liable for my conduct in that forum state. The Court of Appeals found that to be the case and our Supreme Court reversed unanimously and noted that there was um, no opportunity for to direct the evidence of that forum state. Um, and uh, so that I've reserved the balance of time for rebuttal, um, I'll uh, do that unless the court has any specific questions at this point. Thank you, Mr. Warren. Hear from the appellee. Thank you, Judge Tyson. May it please the court. Chris Edwards on behalf of the plaintiff appellees, Bartlett and Harrison. Um, matter of housekeeping, I plan to take up most of the 30 minutes, but if I have any remaining time, Ms. Grace, who represents Defendant Air Methods, who's also an appellee, will be addressing those. We'll be uh, uh, making some additional comments. I'm a little shocked to hear the argument that the stream of commerce theory is no longer good law. Um, I think that this court's decision in Cohen follows and tracks the stream of commerce theory. Uh, we cited in our memorandum of additional authorities cases from this court that apply the stream of commerce theory. And I don't think that if you really peel back what Nicastro was saying, it changes the stream of commerce theory. Even if that weren't the case, we still have additional contacts by these defendants that makes the exercise of jurisdiction proper in this case. Uh, as, I've, as I've kind of previewed, I'm going to focus primarily on minimum contacts. 
but I am happy to discuss the other two aspects of, of relatedness and reasonableness. Just a quick question. So are you, is it your position that the stream of commerce has rendered the purposeful availment factor that, that it uh, is greater in importance than the purposeful availment? No, Your Honor. I think that the stream of commerce, and, and it, I think it's important to look at what Worldwide Volkswagen says. I mean, Worldwide Volkswagen is a defendant who is, is an individual who brings a car randomly into a forum state. Here we have two defendants who have continuously serviced the North Carolina market through an through a exclusive distributor. Safran sells to Airbus, Airbus sells to its exclusive distributor, and Airbus's exclusive distributor then distributes, uh, as the as Judge Hall found in Finding of Fact 18 and 19, 30 helicopters using 60 Safran engines over a period of 10 years into the forum state, and they've flown for almost 100,000 hours combined. In the absence of an allegation of alter ego or bad faith, is a corporation that maintains corporate formalities, are they entitled to the integrity of that entity notwithstanding the acts of any related companies? I want to be very careful in answering that because I agree that corporate formalities are appropriate if there's no alter ego theory. But what I don't want to lose sight of is that the Supreme Court in Worldwide Volkswagen said that the contacts can be direct or indirect. And so, no, there's no argument that this is an alter ego, but instead what we're arguing is this is an indirect contact Airbus Germany selling to Airbus US selling to Duke in North Carolina. And that's not an isolated sale. That's a, it's one of 30 sales, 21 of those helicopters are still operating in the forum as of at least last year. And so, no, we're not looking to get away, to do away with corporate formalities, but I think the stream of commerce supports uh, distributor liability, or liability through a distributor. So the, the person who actually imported the helicopter into the United States, who sold it, delivered it, um, they're not before us, correct? That's correct. They, they are a defendant in the case. They did not appeal. They did not move to dismiss. And the same with the helicopter, manu the engine manufacturer, their U.S. subsidiary uh, did not appeal either, right? That's correct. Uh, it's my understanding that Airbus, excuse me, that Safran's U.S. entity uh, wasn't involved in the distribution of the engine into the stream of commerce. We heard on, on direct argument that the German company has no interest whatsoever in the importer. There's no cross relationships or ownership whatsoever. So if you have two entities that are wholly separate and distinct, what basis is it to impute the actions of one entity to a totally separate entity in the absence of alter ego? Again, I think that's an indirect contact. Uh, Airbus Germany contracted for an exclusive national distributor, and it sent 700 helicopters into the United States. As Your Honor Well, they, they sold 700 helicopters in Germany to this company. That's correct. Sold hel helicopters that it knew were going to be sold in the United States, and then 30 of those, at least, were sold into North Carolina. That's an indirect, that's an indirect contact with the state. That is sufficient under Worldwide Volkswagen. So where are the limits then under Ford of the related to, or the caused by or related to? Your Honor, I want to 
be very careful in answering that as well because I think that Ford caused by or related to deals with the relatedness component and I want to be careful to distinguish that from the minimum contacts component. Otherwise, I do think this is what Ford calls the paradigmatic case of someone selling something into the forum state indirectly and the product, the product malfunctioning in the forum state and that's exactly what we have here. Airbus sold it indirectly into North Carolina and then the helicopter malfunctioned. The focus is then on Airbus's contacts with the United States. And, and I think this court's interpretation of Ford and Cohen speaks to that, the, the correctness of what I'm saying. So the court in Cohen is looking at contacts achieved through the stream of commerce and it focuses on three things. The number of engines sold in the state, the number of hours flown in the state, and the, and the portal. Um, what we have here is a helicopter and an engine manufacturer distributing indirectly helicopters into the forum state where there are a number of hours flown, almost 100,000 hours. There are at least 60 engines and 70 helicopters operating at one time. And then they both have interactive portals that require registration. If, if you're asking us, and we're bound by our own precedent as well as precedent from the Supreme Court, if both of our courts have already held that stream of mere introduction of a product into to the stream of commerce standing alone is insufficient to establish jurisdiction over a non-resident, um, if we're bound by that, that that factor, the fact they made it and put it into the world commerce, um, if 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 that's not determinative here, then where do we go from there? I think that there are additional factors. I kind of want to address the premise of your question first. Uh, as we cite in our memorandum of additional authorities, Cox, Warshinsky, and Bush, all of those cases are stream of commerce cases. They're post-Asahi, pre-Nicastro cases. Cox and Warshinsky are post-Asahi, pre-Nicastro cases. And they say stream of commerce is the law in this state. I don't think the Supreme Court's opinion in Mucha changes that, if that's what Your Honor is referring to when you say the Supreme Court has rejected stream of commerce. I, I standing alone. Standing alone, that's right, that's right. I think Mucha is, read Mucha for what it is. Paragraphs 15 and 16 of Justice Earl's opinion discuss the, the plurality and the Breyer opinion. And then paragraph 17, the, the preceding paragraphs rather, from 11 onward, they discuss the other stream of commerce cases. And in paragraph 17, Justice Earl says, well, what do we learn from that? What we've learned is one, you can't just target a person, you have to target a forum. And two, an isolated random contact is not enough. And I think we agree with that. But this is a consistent stream of helicopters coming into the state. Uh, it's you know, 30 helicopters over eight years. And, and I want to point out the trial court's finding unchallenged that these are sophisticated machines. This is not a car, this is not a watch, this is not something that you, know, you or I might deal with every day. It's, I, I think 30 is a significant number, and it's 5% of the total that were imported over that time period. Uh, going back to the, the, the Mucha decision, the citation to Justice Breyer's opinion is interesting. And, and I think that Airbus, at least, has argued that they should win under Nicastro. But I, I would argue to you that Nicastro reaffirms the stream of commerce decision. Look at Justice Breyer's opinion. He says, we don't need to go any farther than our prior decisions. Well, what do the prior decisions say? 
the, app, the appellants would have you believe that stream of commerce plus is what, the, is what the prior decisions focus on. If you read Asahi, a majority of the court actually rejects the stream of commerce plus opinion. There are five justices who say that's not the law. There are four, everybody talks about O'Connor and Brennan. There's also a Stevens opinion that says basically what Justice Breyer's Nicastro opinion says. That is, we don't need to go any farther than our precedents. And if we do, I wouldn't go so far as stream of commerce plus. Justice Breyer cites all those opinions, and then he relies on the Stevens opinion. And he takes the Stevens, Stevens opinion and says, look, what, what, is the, what can show purposeful availment? Well, there's marketing to the forum, specific manufacturer for the forum, but then he also cites Worldwide Volkswagen for the proposition that introducing a good into the stream of commerce by a distributor with the expectation that it will be purchased in the forum state is sufficient minimum contacts. If we were to agree that that's sufficient, what, what would be the limits on any manufacturer who makes any product that ends up in the stream of commerce? Where would, could they be sued anywhere, anytime? No, Your Honor, I don't think so. I, I think that there are the, the number and the, the number and the import of these products, you know, the, the basically the, the quantity of sales, the value of the sales, I think all of those things are relevant. This is not, as Your Honor cited in your, in your concurrence in Cohen, this is not a hand-carved decoy, a decoy, a decoy maker making hand-carved decoys selling on Etsy. You know, it's not good enough to sell one or two. I think we have to look at the entire corpus of sales. And here we know how many were sold in the United States, and we know what percentage of that was sold in North Carolina, and that's 5%. We're bound by Cohen, obviously. Yes. And um, Cohen, do you think this case is on all fours with Cohen? I don't think it's on all fours with Cohen. I think we went under Cohen, um, but I will acknowledge the distinction that Cohen had a distributor in state. Uh, but I, again, I don't think that matters where the national distributor, Cohen didn't have a national distributor. Cohen is also, or Continental is also a domestic corporation too. I agree with that, and I understand that point, but I don't know that that matters from the minimum contacts analysis where it's an indirect sale into the state versus a direct sale into the state through a distributor. Where's the revenue to either defendant here from North Carolina? I'm sorry, Your Honor, I don't Where's the revenue? What, what revenue from North Carolina through a website or part sale or anything else, what, what revenue flows from North Carolina back to either of these defendants? I understand. Uh, I think that that, again, goes to the portal. This is not Cohen where there's an upfront fee. But what we have is undisputed deposition testimony that they do use the contacts, the tracing, to sell spare parts. And both defendants have acknowledged that they are the provider. Airbus says, we provide Keycopter. Safran makes a similar admission. And those entities are selling spare parts into the United States, whether it's through the distributor or directly. They are distributing spare parts. They are making money. And so to Mr. Strain's point, I, I do agree that maybe tracking the information is not enough. But here it's more than tracking. It's not just the passive act of tracking information. It's the utilization of that information for commercial sales. Mr. Worf says that Saffron doesn't even track it. I, I dispute that, Your Honor. I believe the undisputed testimony in the record is that uh, the portal requires, the uh, page 2797 of the record says that operators have to record fleet data to access the portal. 
And so the also undisputed evidence is that Safran is the one that maintains the portal. And so I, I, I just disagree. Um, I think I've walked through Ford and Cohen. Again, under Nicastro, I think it's relevant that, again, there's the stream of commerce. But Judge Tyson, you mentioned other contacts. And I think that there also are other contacts here. I don't want to marry myself to just the stream of commerce standard. If the court thinks there needs to be something more, well, let's look at what else there is. And I'll start with Safran. And, and I want to be careful when I talk about Safran's additional contacts, because there are so many that I don't want it to seem that Airbus is somehow less connected or that the contacts are less sufficient. But Safran, there is Let an- Let me ask you a threshold question before you go there. Do you agree that just mainly posting information on the internet that's available, that that's not a contact? I think under Harvey against Valentine, that's, a, that's correct. I think here it's the type of information. Um, this isn't a forum, it's not a, you know, it's not a web, it's not like CNN.com, it's instead uh, a web page that requires a login and I, I don't want to understate the importance of the information. Well, in Cohen, they charged for that service. They did charge for that service. And they received revenue from that. That's correct. That's, that's, that's the distinction I'm trying to draw. I, I still think that there is the revenue in Cohen, the revenue going into the company, I, I don't think we're without revenue here. There's, the revenue just happens on the back end based on the tracking of data. It allows Airbus, it allows Safran to sell those used parts into the stream of commerce, indirectly into the forum state. And so it's not a matter of are they going to get paid for the use of this information, for the use of this website. It's where in the line does that fall. Uh, back to the point about Safran's contact, contacts with the forum state, Safran appeared in 2009 at a conference in Charlotte. Now that conference was put on by Safran's USA, uh, Safran's USA cousin, I think. It's not a, not a subsidiary. Uh, but it sent C-suite executives to Charlotte to present and to market this engine, the engine that malfunctioned in this case. Safran also has a contract in the record with Turbo Mecca Manufacturing Monroe. And so that is an entity based outside Charlotte TMM, as it's called in the briefs, provided parts that were used in the Safran Ariel 1E2 engines. And so that's another intentional contact by Safran in North Carolina. You know, finally, Safran had a number of executives who were visiting North Carolina regularly. If you look at the record, Safran has a number of, I believe it's uh, page 2775 through 80, there are a number of flights between 2015 and 2017 uh, to the Charlotte area, which I think it's fairly inferable were to TMM, since Monroe is so close to Charlotte. Uh, you know, these are all intentional contacts by Safran that purposefully avail it to North Carolina in addition to its distribution of its engines through the stream of commerce. Can you elaborate on finding 31 that talks about the participa participation in the organization and creation of this manufacturing plant? Yes, Your Honor. I, I will acknowledge what I believe is a citation error in our brief where, as, as Safran indicates, uh, we cited to a, uh, a unanimous action by corporate director saying that uh, a unanimous action, unanimous consent form appointing a director, not one authorizing the uh, creation of TMM. But what I do have is 
uh, record site 2761. That's an admission. It's a very clear admission. Uh, the deposition testimony is not garbled. Uh, the taking attorney says, when I, if I say Safran France, if I say she, are you going to understand that I mean the company you work for? And he asks, was Safran France involved in the creation of Turbo Mecca Manufacturing? And the unequivocal response is yes. And so I think that's competent evidence to support that finding of fact. Turning to Airbus's separate contacts, uh, again, I want to say that they're not as strong as Safran's, but I don't think the plus factor, if you're going to consider these other contacts, requires such a strong showing. Airbus is intimately involved in the sale terms. It's intimately involved in the uh, intimately involved in the in the repair process for these helicopters. Uh, you know, Airbus has a right to approve or to change sale terms. If things are sold in standard sale terms, Airbus has pre-approved them. It's got the option to pre-approve additional terms or to approve additional terms if, if AHI requests them. Airbus then probably, I think it's inferable that Airbus approved the warranty in North Carolina that these helicopters were warranted pursuant to. Uh, Airbus is selling spare parts into North Carolina. It's making revenue off those. And then again, we have the tracking of information, and that's used to sell spare parts. Are those sold exclusively through Texas? They are sold exclusively through Texas. And so no one in North Carolina is making direct contact with the entity in Germany to order anything? No, Your Honor, and I don't believe that's required under Worldwide Volkswagen. Again, it's, a, it's an indirect contact with the forum state. You, uh, one of the cases that originated in this court was uh, Goodyear involving yes, a tire that was manufactured in Turkey that was used on a bus in France that blew out and suit was brought here. Goodyear has a huge plant in my hometown. Um, this court found there was jurisdiction in that case and that case went to U.S. Supreme Court that said no there was not. Do you want to distinguish Goodyear or talk about why that would not control the result here? I do want to distinguish Goodyear. I do want to think about that a little bit. I think the, the chief distinction, well, one that I would draw just based on Ford, and I know that's a, I know it postdates Ford, uh, or predates Ford, but one distinction I would draw based on Ford is the relatedness to the forum. The accident did occur in a different, in a different jurisdiction. Um, Again, though, those are the acts of the U.S.-based companies to which these two companies do business with. I haven't seen anything where they themselves are doing anything but acting through their distributors. Your Honor, I think that acting through a distributor is sufficient under the stream of, under the stream of commerce test. Otherwise, companies would be able to structure their transactions not in a way so as to avoid liability, but so as to gain the system and to completely evade liability when they know they are serving a market, when they are purposefully serving a market. Well, that's why I asked Gert about the alter ego. Are they not entitled to corporate integrity to be respected in the... We don't even have similarity of ownerships here. We have separate, distinct companies, and unless you want to collapse and impute all the conduct of the U.S.-based companies back to the foreign companies, I don't, I, I'm having a hard time rationalizing that if we're going to maintain the corporate integrity in the absence of allegation of no alter ego. 
Your Honor, again, I'd stress worldwide Volkswagen's indirect contacts language, and I think that that's, I think that it's similar to uh, the Griffin case, which was cited in our memorandum of additional authorities. That is a foreign distributor, sell, foreign bottle manufacturers, they're into a foreign distributor selling to, you know, several iterations down the line. And there, that case, the Supreme Court of Idaho says, look, that yes, it's indirect, but, I, you know, I think that the court doesn't need to be too focused on the alter ego theory because, again, if this were a different corporation from Airbus, you know, if it were a, just a random U.S.-based distributor for Airbus, I still think that there is, or, or if the foreign corporation were an Airbus, I still think that there are minimum contacts based on the distributor relationship. Airbus gave AHI a license to service the entire United States. It expected it to market and service the entire United States, and it did. Airbus, as Justice Gorsuch said in his Ford concurrence, this defendant shouldn't be allowed to service our state, to service our market, and then walk out the back door when the process server comes. It knows that these products are going into North Carolina as reflected by the eight years of data including tracking the subject helicopter in this case through the point when it was destroyed. Going back then, if they know they're going all over the world, they're sold in every nation, every state, where, where is the limit on asserting jurisdiction in any of those forms based on your argument? I want to be careful to distinguish the small manufacturer from a national or international manufacturer, I think that limit would come either through the relatedness contact, the relatedness issue where, you know, serving a, having a product that manufactures doesn't open Airbus up to every single tort claim in North Carolina. But in this case, where a helicopter malfunctions, that's the paradigmatic case of relatedness and of purposeful availment. And so I think the I think the, the other issues that would come in would be relatedness and the, the reasonableness. But so the relatedness is not North Carolina-based contact, sales, service, whatever, operations, to the U.S. companies. I, don't, I, don't, I can't make the jump. I'm having a hard time making the jump because neither one of the two U.S.-based companies appealed. The only thing before us is a company in France, a company in Germany. So unless we, unless we impute the actions of those U.S.-based subsidiaries, or not even subsidiaries, U.S.-based companies, distributors, back to these, I don't see, I'm having a hard time seeing, other than that, how we hold them accountable. Your Honor, again, I go back to the indirect contacts, and I believe sales through a distributor. Otherwise, any use of a distributor would cut off personal jurisdiction for an international company. I think that that is not what the Nicastro court intended. Nicastro, again, is about a single isolated transaction. Here we have a continuous stream of transactions through that distributor. This isn't random or isolated. This isn't the act of a, third, a random act of a third party. This is exactly what Airbus intended when it signed this, in, this exclusive distributorship agreement. And so, you know, for that reason, I think it's reasonable for this court to conclude that Airbus's contacts are AHI's contacts for purposes of the jurisdictional analysis. It, AHI was doing exactly what Airbus wanted it to do, it was doing exactly what Airbus contracted for it to do, and Airbus was overseeing AHI. It had the ability to oversee repairs, it had to dictate repairs, it had to dictate the terms of the contract, AHI got to market on behalf of Airbus, 
for all, I'd also direct the court to, I, I, I think it's page 1453 in paragraph 4.1.14 of the contract. Airbus signs this contract with AHI saying, look, you are going to be our interface in North Carolina. You are going to be our exclusive interface. In, in the United States. In the United States, yes. In the United States. I apologize. That's my, mis, that's my misstatement. Uh, in, in the United States. And so this is exactly what the contract planned. And I don't think the fact that we're, I don't think that that is doing away with corporate formalities. I think it is holding a company that purposefully structured its transactions so as to target every single state accountable for its actions. Can you explain to me the significance of the fact that AHD warranted the helicopter subject to North Carolina law? It doesn't seem to be a, a contact. What is that? What is, what is the significance of that in your brief? I think that AHD warning the helicopter, and I, I do want to clarify, AHD had control over the contract terms. It allowed AHI to warrant the helicopter subject to North Carolina law. So that's not, so AHD didn't warrant it, AHI did. AHI warranted it. AHD had control over the terms of that warranty, and a I think that's indicative of the fact that AHD was, was exposing itself to the North Carolina market. It could have structured its contacts in a different way by not allowing its helicopters to be warranted subject to North Carolina law, could have required Texas law, could have required German law, which is what it did in its contract with AHI. Here, AHD allowed them to be warranted subject to North Carolina law. If there are... You have about three, three and a half minutes left. I don't know if you want to use that or, or offer it to your co-counsel. The time is yours. I, I am going to offer it to Ms. Grace. Thank you, Your Honors. What would you have the court to do before you leave? We'd ask the court to affirm in all respects. Uh, to the extent that there are challenge findings of fact by Airbus or she, I believe that any error will be harmless. Thank you. Thank you. Your Honor, Your Honors. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Catherine Grace with Wilson Elser on behalf of Air Methods at Belize. Given that I have such a brief amount of time, I really want to talk more generally and more practically from a public policy standpoint. You all have asked excellent questions about where the limitations should be, and I want to reframe that a little bit. I find it almost offensive that a company can sit in another country, send their product over here, and then pretend that we're washing our hands of the product. That is not what happened here. And as co-counsel said, it is not one product. Judge Gore, I think, asked the mo most important question in my brain, which is how the regulations impact this analysis. The sophistication of this product alone may very well warrant a finding in every jurisdiction that there is personal jurisdiction over companies like this who manufacture, I mean, think about this machine, this helicopter, this, it, it's not a watch, it's not a ring, it's not one product that goes somewhere and we never see it again. Instead, it is heavily regulated. I think that the Federal Aviation Administration also might be offended by a word passive, that, that compliance with federal regulations is a passive act. I dare say that they would say that that's pretty purposeful, that is very, intended to comply with those federal aviation regulations. Would you, would you agree that Boeing would be subject to worldwide jurisdiction in any forum? 
It's a, it's a good question. I think that we do have to do a factual analysis in every circumstance, but it, it, I think it's very close. I think more so yes than not. So uh, that's much more pervasive than here, where this is a limited manufacturer, limited market. Do you agree with that? It is a limited market in that it's not Ford as everywhere from our perception as Americans. Not Amer Americans don't see Airbus the same way that they see Ford. However, because it is such a, a more complex, more sophisticated, more heavily regulated market, when you talk about 70 helicopters coming into the United States with knowledge that they're getting to North Carolina, with knowledge that there's going to be this monitoring and oversight and compliance with federal aviation regulations, that is sufficient to exercise jurisdiction over companies, particularly when North Carolina has such an interest when we're dealing with residents of North Carolina in, in making the determinations of ultimate life of liability and culpability, Your Honor. You, you, you have a closing remark. You have a few seconds left. I would ask Your Honors to please affirm the decision of the trial court. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Rebuttal. Thank you, Judge Tyson, Your Honors. I'll just respond first. Indirect sales, we spoke about it earlier. We're not talking about indirect sales in North Carolina. There were none. AHI does its business in Texas. There is no indirect sales going on in North Carolina. Are the helicopters delivered in Texas? Yes, sir. Yes, Your Honor. So every buyer buys in Texas? That's correct, Your Honor. The terms and conditions for the sales state that the deliveries occurred in Texas, risk of loss transfers in Texas, and the helicopters are picked up there. And the warranty provision that was raised by Your Honor, uh, this contract between AHI and North Duke had a North Carolina warranty provision. It's not in the record, but I need to respond to that. That is extremely rare. Almost all of the contracts have an a, uh, a Texas warranty provision for the Texas entity. And remember, here, the German company had zero involvement with this transaction between AHI and, a, and, a, excuse me, and Duke. So where the idea came in that AHD somehow controlled and required or allowed that North Carolina warranty provision is not in the record, pure speculation. I don't think it's even true. Now, the portal that was talked about, re registration is required. Exactly. The German portal, as uh, the, to go into the record that we cite in our brief, the witness from Germany said the U.S. has a separate portal. There is no evidence in this record of anyone from North Carolina ever accessing the Internet portal of the German company. Call it plus. Call it needing more than stream of commerce. Call it, you know, we can call it whatever we want. But what we have here is a situation where pure stream of commerce is not the law, primarily because of what we've seen so far with Cohen and with Ford. Your Honor hit it on the head. What is the purpose? Where does relatedness exist in a pure stream of commerce type argument? There are no limits in that respect. AHD in Germany contracted with a Texas company. The stream of commerce of its products into the U.S. ended when it delivered them in, tech, in Germany to that Texas company. This case, that Texas company is a defendant here to answer the product liability claims against it. 
It sold that helicopter to a North Carolina company. The German company did not. It never walked through the door of North Carolina. It's not trying to escape out the back door. Unless there are any questions, Your Honor, on behalf of my client, Airbus Helicopters Deutschland, we ask that the trial court's order be reversed and a finding be entered that it is not subject to personal jurisdiction in North Carolina for these claims. Counsel, I just have one. When you do have the volume of helicopters that would go out in a shipment, you know, that was discussed, uh, is there knowledge of your company knowing okay, yeah, they're being sold by the Texas organization or Texas entity. But is there knowledge of where they're going because of the volume for, you know, you get 10, you had 10 ordered. Wow, that's a, that's a good day. Um, do, do you know where they're going? I can only speak to this particular helicopter where the German company did not know where it was going when they sold it to the Texas company. I can't say that they never know. Um, but I can say that in this particular, where you have a volume 20 to 30 in North Carolina, none of those were sold in North Carolina by the Texas company. And some of them may have ended up here through used third-party sales. They may have been sold to Oklahoma and ended up here. So I hope that answers your question, Your Honor. It, it does. Thanks. I'm trying to rush to give my colleagues time. Thank you. Thank you. With the court's indulgence, Your Honors, I just want to make three points in rebuttal. Uh, the first, in regards to a question by Judge Collins about the organization of TMM, um, if you look at the uh, record supplemental pages 27 to 46 and 47, and also 58 and 59, you can see that the examinee from the 30B6 examinee notes that that was Saffron France um, and Saffron USA on this left-hand side that had to do with turbomeca manufacturing. It was not Saffron helicopter engines. Um, and as uh, uh, Judge Tyson, your uh, question about the portal, um, Mr. Edwards uh, mentioned something about a portal and registration. And we do um, accept registration information in, like you would get a warranty card and load that warranty information in. And that's the first indication that Saffron gets that wherever their engine ended up. Um, and there's no fee for that. They can access the documents there uh, that apply to their particular engine. And the last thing, Your Honors, um, when you look at conclusion of Law 17, she delivered engines into the stream of commerce with the expectation that they would be purchased and operated anywhere in the world, including the United States, to specifically include North Carolina. Our courts have held that is not sufficient. The U.S. Supreme Court has held that is not sufficient. That expectation that you have to be in the forum state cannot be on an indirect contact. It cannot be fortuitous that it ends up there. It must be purposeful. What would you have the court do, Mr. Ward? Uh, thank you, Judge Tyson. We'd ask the court, similar to Mr. Strain, to reverse um, and uh, uh, the finding of jurisdiction for Saffron helicopter engines. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. Okay. Uh, the case is submitted. We'd like to thank counsel for their arguments and for the detailed analysis that you provided the court today. Thank you very much and for the quality of the briefs that came in too. We thank you for both. And if there's nothing else on the docket, Mr. Saunders, will you adjourn court?
Nice job. I learned a lot in three weeks. <laughs> nice nice job. Again. It was good to see you again. See you soon. Yeah, sure. Absolutely.